following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. If you're visiting with us today, I also wanted to say welcome and let you know I'm uh, Pastor Jed. I'm the associate pastor. Pastor Steve will be up here again next week. Before we begin, I want to read from Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I I have just read my prayer that right now in this moment and in our church, in one-off conversations and in our most public and deliberate efforts and activities, that You would bring praise to Your name. We don't have it in us to do this. We need You to do it. And we give thanks to You that in You bringing praise and glory and honor and fame to Your name, You bring indescribable joy to us. You love us. You love us jealously, steadfastly, You are an incredible God, God. You are a powerful Father. And Lord Jesus, You are a wonderful Savior. Blessed be Your name. And Holy Spirit, 
You are our perfect, powerful, and totally sufficient helper. So help us now. Help us to hear your word. Help me to be clear. And uh, where I'm not clear, would you wipe that away? Would you keep that from being an obstacle? And would you use your word to work? Bring glory to Jesus, Holy Spirit. May he really, really be praised among us. And may he really, really be praised because and through us. Would you do this, we pray. Amen. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Have you ever asked that question? You ever sat in the middle of gospel community and said, what are we doing here? <laughs> you ever sat in a church and said, what, what, what are we doing here? It's a good question. Very good question. Um, and it's dangerous not to ask this question. We humans have a, a great capacity to consume ourselves with activity and miss the whole point. We have a great capacity to drive miles and miles in the wrong direction by the highway and never realize it and end up miles and miles in the opposite direction. What are we doing here? Or perhaps, perhaps you're somebody who has recently turned away from sin. You've repented and you're starting to see the world differently. You're freed. And your question is not so much, what are we doing here? Your question is, what now? What, what, what comes next? Or you're a new Christian and you're asking yourself that same question. What now? What now? Or perhaps you're not a Christian, but you're inquisitive and tolerant enough to sit and listen today. And your question is, what am I doing here? You look around at your life and you say, how did I get here? What am I doing here? What now? Well, Jesus speaks to these questions in the passage that we'll look at today in Mark 11. He speaks to these questions quite clearly. Quite clearly, if we will have ears to hear. We need ears to hear because he's going to speak through a parable. Through a strange parable, he's going to speak through a tree. He will speak in a fiery, angry parable through this tree. And as we walk along the path with Jesus, as we, as we walk by the tree, as we walk and watch Him in the temple and walk along with His disciples, we need to hear the message. We need to hear it. God, give us grace to hear it. It's a crucial message because it goes right to the core of Christianity and it defines much of why we do church the way that we do. And it, I pray, will help to clarify your mission, maybe your mission in life. So, we find Jesus um, on a mission in Mark 10 to Jerusalem, a mission to the cross. But he has a stop to make first. He's got to go to the temple. He goes to the temple and he, he looks around and no one notices crickets. Chirp. No one notices the Son of God in God's temple. 
But I'll be, begin reading the passage that we'll be looking at today, beginning in chapter 11, verse 12. Jesus leaves the temple, leaves Jerusalem, and then verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The Word of God. Now before we move on, uh, just a, a note. You'll note that at the end of this section there is no verse 26 in your Bible, most likely. That's probably because uh, it was a late addition by some well-meaning scribe or some other person who pulled over a passage, an identical passage, from a similar point in Matthew's Gospel. Makes sense. Um, but none of the earliest manuscripts that we have for the Gospel of Mark have this verse, and so we leave it out. Well, as he has done before, Mark uses a sandwich structure in the narrative. We see the fig tree in the first paragraph and in the third paragraph, but this is interrupted by this, this episode in the temple. And the middle portion will help us understand what the, what the parable of the tree is actually all about. Mark sees this interruption as the key to understanding the parable. So as they return to Jerusalem, Jesus is hungry. And he often uses moments like this when the disciples are hung, hungry to to catch them and to, to make a point that they need to understand. So he sees the fig tree in the distance and it is full of leaves. The leaves promise some kind of fruit. Although Mark gives a very important note, for it was not the season for figs. So green leaves were meant to be a, a signal that something was supposed to be growing on this tree. Um, Mark says it was not the season for figs, and he probably means that it was not the season for ripe figs. 
It's not the season to pick figs off of trees and eat them, but the tree should have had at least some unripe figs. It should have had some prefigs. Um, the word in the original text probably refers to ripe figs. So even though it was not the season for ripe figs, it should have had at least something on it that would eventually lead to figs, to edible figs, something approaching fruit. From a distance, the lush tree promised much fruit. But upon close inspection, not only did it not have ripe fruit, it had nothing that it would ever even lead to fruit. So Jesus pronounces a curse upon it. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. So some people have <clears throat> charged Jesus of uh, capriciously cursing a defenseless tree in this episode. Um, that, that out of frustration he did this. Out of frustration of being hungry and there was no food. And so he recklessly used his power to curse this tree. But far from it. Jesus, the maker of trees, is using the tree as a parable to his disciples. And the disciples get the message, verse 14. They hear it. The tree is the temple. They get the message. So then they enter Jerusalem in the temple, verse 15. And the one who is both a lamb and a lion disrupts the massive system of sacrifices. He upsets the tables of those who were selling pigeons for sacrifices and those who are exchanging money. Exodus 13 mentions that uh, mentions using a shekel to pay for temple sacrifices. And so the leaders of the temple forced people to exchange their currency for a fee. And because it was Passover, the place was packed. Sacrifice after sacrifice taking place. Shekel after shekel being exchanged for the Passover feast. And overseeing everything was the Sanhedrin and the money changers who profited handsomely from the whole operation. But we read in verse 16 that Jesus brings this finely tuned machine to a screeching halt. Some people have tried to figure out how he did that because the temple's area spanned 35 acres. But Mark said he did. The question is not how, but why. Why does he do this? The answer to why, I hope, will be an incredible encouragement to you today. Well, he tells the crowd why, astonishing them with his teaching. And they hear it. They get the message. Mark summarizes Jesus' teaching in verse 17. Is it not written, he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. And I want you to listen and, and hear God's heart for the temple as I read some passages from Isaiah 56. Verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from His people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Verse 6, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Pat Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. 
The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Who's he talking about? You. (laughs) Me. The purpose of the temple is for God to display himself, to, to remove all obstacles, the obstacles of sin between God and man, and then to give himself to his people for their joy. Through the temple, he aims to, to gather all the outcasts and all the people that, that he has chosen from the nations and to give them himself. Whew. Instead, Jesus says, it's been turned into a den of robbers. Yes, the, much of what was going on was prescribed in the Old Testament, much of the, the sacrificial system. But it was not being pursued to get God. Instead of displaying God, the temple obscured him. The, the court of the Gentiles comprised most of this, this 35 acres, and yet it was filled with so much busyness and so much traffic and so much buying and selling and religious activity. There was so much religious activity that a person could barely see God, let alone pray. And further, the temple was meant to depict the removal of the the great separation, the great mountain of sin between God and man by the giving of a life, the sacrifice. Instead, the temple introduced more separation. At the center was, of course, the temple, which was separated from the court of Israel for circumcised, ceremonially clean Jewish men, which was separated from the court of women for ceremonially clean Jewish women, which was separated from the court of the Gentiles. And between the court of the Gentiles and the court of women was a lattice fence, a low-lying fence with this, this sign repeated over and over and over again, no foreigner may enter within the railing and enclosure that surround the temple. Anyone apprehended shall have himself to blame for his consequent death. Separation. And instead of giving the people's God, the people had to give their money. The way to God had been swallowed up in extortion. The temple stood diametrically opposed to God's stated purpose for it. A dangerous place to be. <laughs> this is why Jesus is consumed with such, such zeal for his Father's house. God's desires were, to all, were for all people to, to see God and to get him for their joy. That the people were to come into the temple and, and, and see him and trust him. And as they, as they trusted him, they would call out to him and they would, they would pray to him. And as they prayed to him, they would, they would see their separation between, between themselves and God and they would, they would engage in sacrifice to, to get that separation removed so that they could get him for their joy. Forgiveness was not the end Forgiveness was only the means by which to get God. That's why Jesus is so angry and so enraged. Because because anger and rage are are the flip side of fiery, jealous love. God gave His temple out of love that He might display Himself to His people, all the people's. Out of love he gathers the outcasts and the foreigners from among the nations. 
And so we see in Jesus here not a, not a jealousy for, you know, for people to have the, the right religious decorum in God's house. No, no, no. It's, it's more than that. We see the flip side of God's jealous, fiery love for you. Because He is out to gather people like you from among the nations. And He will not let anything stand in His way. So he's upset, <laughs> like a bear between her cub, <laughs> like, a, well, like a bear seeing a hiker between, between she and her cub. He is upset. Out of love, he is upset. So though your, your Bible publisher may have a heading above this paragraph that says, Jesus cleanses the temple, this was no cleansing. This was condemnation. In the real estate sense of the word. (laughs) The house had become a death trap. Though it looked splendid on the outside, it distorted God's glory once you got up close. Jesus is not cleansing. He is in effect posting a notice that says, Beware, condemned, and scheduled for demolishing. But in bringing all the activity to a halt and and ordering its demolishing, He is not just condemning. He is paving a new path to God. He is plowing a path. The Jews thought that the Messiah would come and cleanse Israel of all Gentiles. But Jesus is condemning the temple for Gentiles to bring the Gentiles, to bring the nations to God, to clear a path, to plow the way. He is acting out of love. So I, I just say, as you, as you see Him flip the tables and, 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 and angrily protest and teach, I say, behold your God. He loves you. He is doing this for you. He is is clearing a path to God. And the leaders of the temple, just like the disciples, hear the message. They get it. They get it loud and clear in verse 18. They know that Jesus is there to demolish what they hold most dear. And so in response, still in verse 18, they begin to seek to destroy Jesus. It's no coincidence that Isaiah, in in the verses that follow the ones that Jesus quotes, speaks of these leaders. Verse 9 of Isaiah 56 reads, All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark. Dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. They were more concerned with their own appetites than for displaying God. They were more concerned with their own appetites than getting God. And so they simply sat and watched as the beasts of the field, the very human influences of greed and selfishness and forgetfulness and busyness, devoured the light of God's glory where it was most to be shown. His glory was hidden, forgotten in the swirl of activity that was meant to point to Him. 
So the next morning brings the second half of Mark's sandwich, and, and Peter sees that the tree has withered down to the roots. The temple is as good as gone. Peter gets the message. Jesus' answer to Peter is both simple and profound. He tells them, have faith in God. And, and they're to exercise that faith in confident prayer because of how strong God is. And he commands forgiveness in order that God may forgive us. This is how one comes to God now, Jesus is saying. When one sees God, having faith in God, in confident but needy prayer to God, seeking forgiveness from God. But where, where is the sacrifice? Where, where is the sacrifice that will bring forgiveness and, and open the way to God? In what temple will that sacrifice be made? I, I think Peter's running this all around in his head. And Peter would get his answer, of course, at the cross. Jesus Himself said that He would tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Jesus Himself is now the temple. And His broken body and given up life would be the sufficient sacrifice for all sin. To atone for it all. And His resurrection would be God's stamp of approval upon Him that that sacrifice was totally sufficient. God made the way. Jesus is our way to God. He is the temple. He is the one we are to have faith in for His sacrifice for us that brings us to God. In His suffering for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, Jesus brings us to God. So, has He brought you to God? I don't mean... Do you go to church and do you avoid bad things? I mean, do you have joy in God? Has the path to God been opened by Christ for you to your joy? If not, know that the Bible says that sin has made a separation between you and God. And it is a mountain. You can't move it. It is impossible for you to move it. But with God, all things are possible. And He has done the impossible at Christ's cross. If you will but trust Him, if you will but trust Him, He will do the impossible and remove that mountain and you will have Him for your joy. But there are other implications for us as a church. And I, I want to look at them today because they are massive. I want to summarize it this way in our, in our big point for today. The nations must see God in His temple. The nations must see God in His temple. So the Spirit must display Jesus Christ in us, here and there. The nations must see God in His temple. So the Spirit must display Jesus Christ in us, here and there. God has seen fit to display Himself to the nations through His temple. But Jesus is now the temple. 
Not only that, but those of us who have believed in Christ have been joined to Him, and now you and I are that temple. Those of us who have trusted in Christ, we are that temple. Paul puts it this way at the end of Ephesians 2. Verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are His temple. We were once the outcasts and foreigners, but now God has made us the very place that He displays Himself. And not only that, Christ in us has become the hope of glory for the nations. Christ in us. Mind-blowing when you start to think about it. So this has massive implications for us as a church, as families, and as individuals within, the, within this church. I want to break out the, the, this big point into two observations um, with the time that we have left. And here's the first one. All our activity must aim for our enjoyment of God in Christ. All our activity must aim for our enjoyment of God in Christ. Why enjoyment of God? Why, why, why do we put it that way? Why not? I thought, I thought, Jed, you were just talking about displaying God's glory to the nations. Why enjoyment of God? Well, they're really one and the same thing. God has seen fit to gather people to Himself by displaying Himself in the temple. And we are now His temple. And He most clearly displays Himself through people who have Him and who rejoice in Him. So that, as we've said, that the primary goal of Christianity is not forgiveness. If that's where your gospel message ends, you're not quite there. Because forgiveness removes the mountain of sin between God and man so that we can enjoy Him. So that we can have joy that transcends happiness. Abiding joy. Joy that is often revealed not in the blessings of life, but in the cauldron of suffering. True, abiding joy. Those who truly have Him rejoice in Him. And our joy in Him demonstrates just how worth it He really is. To enjoy God is to glorify Him. And I think for, for many of us, this is where the wheels come off. I think you would heartily agree with me that, that one comes to God by trusting in God. Yep, got it. And we call out to Him, we pray to Him, and we ask Him, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. On the basis of what Christ has done, forgive me. I think everyone would agree with that. But we think that that's the whole thing. We, we think that that's what we're doing here. That that's it. But then when we ask, okay, so, so what now? H how do we display Him in the church? How do we glorify Him here? We so quickly whoosh, throw that aside and think program. Program. We think systems. We think um, 
and only in terms of things that we can do. And we forget what, what awesome, indescribable power came to transform our hearts and actually cause us to cry out in the first place. We forget all of that. And we rely on ourselves. We rely on our own thinking, on our own power. It's just it's so easy for us to make that disconnect. And any of us can fall into it. The fact of the matter is, we're not that far off from the scribes and Pharisees and the Sanhedrin of the temple. It is so easy for us to fall into the very same pit. A pit of busyness and forgetting God and forgetting that the whole point is to enjoy Him. When it comes right down to it, we're often not that far from the leaders of the temple who Jesus angrily denunciated because they were standing in the way They were standing between Him and His people because they weren't enjoying Him. Because they were allowing religious activity to squelch all of that and to eat it up. God must be displayed in His temple, brother and sister. He he must be. And He does that through weak people who trust in His strength. Our faith in God displays just how worth it He is, how much He is to be treasured. When Jesus says, have faith in God, the emphasis is not on the word faith. The emphasis is on in God. The important thing is not the strength of your faith, but the strength of the object of your faith. Oh, He is so worth it. He is so able. He is so sufficient. Have faith in God. And when we pray confidently out of that faith, resting on His strength, and, and, and we pray impossible prayers, prayers for which the only outcome is something far beyond our strength, far beyond our ability, far beyond our ability to even plan it all out. And then God moves with power. He's the one that gets the glory. He's the one that's displayed. God comes with power and does the impossible. And we can't stand in the way of that. He removes the impossible barriers between Him and His people. In response to prayer, He moves and displays His power. And as we forgive, as you and I forgive each other, we vividly display His forgiveness to us. So to put all this, I hope, simply, the way we come to God is the way we display God. The way we come to God is the same way we display God, by trusting in Him, by calling out to Him, God, move the mountains, by lavishly demonstrating His grace to us and our forgiveness of each other. The way we come to God is the same way we display God after that. And this means that if the purpose of coming to God is to enjoy Him, then so must all of our activity in this church. The activity of our church must center not around programs, but around resting in His power actively depending upon His power. 
and displaying the, the awesome power of His grace, of His mercy. This means that we got to be willing to let activities go that we know are not done out of a joy of the Lord or to gain a deeper joy of the Lord. Sometimes we got to let stuff die. Perhaps you're Martha today and you simply need to sit and listen to the Lord with Mary. This is where we get our simple mere approach to how we do church. We don't want to get lost in activity and forget to enjoy God through it. Yes, we, we work and we toil. We sweat. But we toil and we sweat because by God's grace, we want to get more of God. We want to enjoy God more on the other side of that toiling and that sweat. Not to earn something with God. Not to earn badges of honor or, 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 or just out of religious activity that forgets Him. This, this joy, this joy in Him is a gift from Him. So we, we have to ask Him for it. Maybe the, maybe the mountain moving prayer that you need to pray today is, God, give me joy. I have been praying that lately. God, give me joy. Restore to me that joy. Give me you. There is one other thing that is very important that we need, all of us. And the, the old Puritans called it conference. Um, I'm not saying we should call it that. But uh, they would gather on a regular basis in smaller groups. Tell me if this sounds like anything. Uh, and simply talk about the things of God. It was not to impress each other with their knowledge or to argue about theology. It was to, to stoke the coals of their joy in Christ. They were citizens of heaven, so they would get together and they would talk about home. They would talk about what home's going to be like. Not home here, home there. Their real home. When's the last time you got together with someone and talked about heaven? Had a conversation about heaven and walked away just, oh, yes. And joy wells up. Matter of fact, who can you invite over this week? Who can you invite over? Not, not for a full evening, not for an event. Just to share a meal. Just to overlay your schedules for an hour and intentionally stoke each other's fire of joy for Christ. Who could that be? And while you're at it, is there a friend or a neighbor that you can invite over who doesn't know Christ? Can they come too? <laughs> now, you say, um, what about me? I'm a trustee. I put up the pipe and drape. I put out the cottage cheese at 10 a.m. on Sunday. That's what I do. That's my activity. Are you saying that's no good? No. No, not at all. Not in the least. Do you enjoy... Enjoy Christ through it. Are you doing it to get Christ? To serve Him out of the, the joy that He has caused to well up within you? Or maybe you're asking, how do I, how do I aim my cottage cheese putting outing activity towards 
getting more joy in Christ? What, what does that look like? And my answer is, I, I, don't, I don't really know for you. I, I don't know for your situation. Um, I have some ideas, but have you asked God about that? Have you asked God that question? God, how can I get more of you through this? And have you searched His Word to figure it out? Have you searched His Word to answer that question? Or have you searched His Word with a few other people in your gospel community? Perhaps you need to ask that question with a few others and, and uh, pray over it and look at the Scripture together to answer that question. The answer will come through those three means of prayer and the Word and fellowship with other saints. Well, whatever the case, wherever you are, brother or sister, resolve, resolve by God's grace to aim all your activity towards our enjoyment of God in Christ. But we would still be incomplete without another aim, and it's the second point today. All our enjoyment of God in Christ must aim for the nations. All our enjoyment of God in Christ must aim for the nations. This must be so. This is God's stated purpose for His temple. But our aim for the nations must not be confined to let's pay a guy to go over to Kyrgyzstan and share the gospel there. It's more than that. And as thankful as we are for local missionaries, some of whom we support from this church, God has said He will display Himself to the nation of Cottonwood Heights and Mill Creek or the Uduk by means of His temple. That is Christ and you and me. We're to take our activity that's aimed for enjoyment of Christ and cause that activity, that enjoyment of Christ, to be seen by the nations. Or at least we're to ask God to do that. So we need to take us here and put us there. So maybe there is Cottonwood Heights or maybe there is Kyrgyzstan. (laughs) But the thought remains the same. God must be displayed in His temple. We need to be a joy-filled community here and we need to plant joy-filled communities there. This is why church planting has to be a cornerstone of missions for any local church. We are not just going there to proclaim the gospel. We are going there to proclaim the gospel. But we are going there to display God. That God would display Himself to His peoples and gather the outcasts and foreigners to Himself through us. This is precisely also why we have gospel communities. The nation of Mill Creek needs to see God, not for 90 minutes on a Sunday, but throughout the week. We do church planting and we do gospel communities to obey God and His grand mission to gather the peoples to Himself. So, how do we take us here and put us there? It's much more accessible to us to think about taking us 
here and putting us into Sandy or Mill Creek. But I think for a lot of us, it's hard to imagine Kyrgyzstan. I had to look up how to pronounce that. I say first, brothers and sisters, remember the way we come to God is the way that we display God. So we begin by trusting Him. God is the one who calls Abrahams, who speaks in burning bushes, who hardens the heart of presidents and pharaohs. He is the one who raises up Davids and casts down Sauls. He is the one who parts seas and wins battles. He is the one who brings judgment upon nations and then brings grace. God is the one who calls kings to do His perfect bidding. He is the one who brings visions and works with power through fishermen and ex-Pharisees and timid Timothys. God is the one who destroys temples and causes mountains of sin to be thrown into the sea. God does it. God doesn't need great men and women. He needs weak men and women in whom He can be great. God has chosen to display His glory through outcasts, through the childless, through the weak ones, through the foreigners. You and me. Do you qualify? I think you do. And so we pray. And we pray big, at least from our perspective. We pray big, not from God's. We pray from John 16, Spirit, Spirit of God, convict my neighbors of sin and righteousness of judgment. Convict the unbelieving Uruk of sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict the unbelievers in my church of sin and righteousness and judgment. Convict the the 84% of, of the population of Kyrgyzstan who are Muslim of sin and righteousness and judgment. Holy Spirit, do it. Display God. And would you use us? God, move mountains. Take your son's cross and remove the separation of sin between you and that person and that people and and that neighbor and that tribe. Do it, God. So you say, who should pray this kind of prayer? All of us. If you are a Christian, this is your mission. It is. This is your mission. You are the temple. And so we take steps of faith and we see what God does with them. I'm talking to you, Mr. or Mrs. Entrepreneur. This is your mission. My my friend Oleg, he in Ukraine. He may be visiting soon. I'm I'm not sure yet. But uh, if he does, and you were to ask him, how is it, how in the world did you, Oleg, who by your own admission is terrible at self-promotion, how did you connect an American investor who was mission-minded and gave you seed capital to start your seminary and your church and and how did you connect that person to a guy who wanted to start an electrical supply store in your hometown and who was also mission-minded 
and then who would also agree that because you got you found the capital, he would give you half the profits in exchange for that. And the profits from that business would pay for the school so that barely any money needs to be paid by the students. How did you arrange that? How did you orchestrate all of that from your little perch in Ivano-Frankivsk? And he would say, I think I can predict both what he would say and how he would say it. He would say, I prayed and God made it happen. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we need, we, we, we do pray, we, we do, but we need to start praying. We need to start praying, God, I, I have no idea. My imagination is about this big when it comes to Kyrgyzstan. I can't even pronounce it. And yet, God, here I am. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I, 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 can you use that? God, can you use me to move the mountains of sin between you and your people? I'm in. I don't know where this is going, but I'm in. Would you do it? Or you who are crowned with silver in the latter years of life, this too is your mission. I think of a dear sister, Eileen Chester, in Colorado Springs. We've been gone for over two years now, and she still prays for us. Out of sight, but not out of mind. <clears throat> she could tell you how much God has taken away from her, her husband, her money, her health. She's racked by pain painful arthritis and bone problems. And yet, though hobbled by pain, her response has been, but I can pray. I can pray. And she does. And so she prays and she gathers other women to her house every week just to pray. No one told her to do this. She just did it. And they come. i got to wonder how many entries in God's history books will begin with, and God caused Eileen Chester to pray, and God moved the mountain. Christian, your mission, your mission is to display God through our enjoyment of Him here and there. So we must take all our enjoyment of Him here and aim it to the nations and our gospel communities. And in, in, our, in our families and how we think about missions, we are all in this. This is your mission. Some of you today may be struggling with sin. Selfish sin, self-gratifying sin. And your entire focus has been on just getting rid of the sin and I tell you, this sermon is actually about you too. It's for you. Because perhaps part of your repentance, part of putting off and putting on, is getting a new mission. Brother or sister, engage. Engage, for I promise you, I, I tell you, by God's Word, there is much joy on the other side of this. Because through all the sweat and the toil, of this great work, there is more of God for us on the other side of it. This whole sermon is about giving God to the nations, but it is also about giving God to you, about getting more of God. But more of God is, awaits you there. 
for your joy. For your joy. Well, we need to be people. We need to be people who enjoy Him. Who enjoy Him in all that we do. And we aim that enjoyment to all the nations. For His glory, so much for our good. So much for our good. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that You would work through us. That You would move in us. That You would cause us to repent of, of those things which, uh, which distract us from You. Forgive us for when we have been in the way, when in our busyness and on all, all of our activity, We've obscured You. We have obscured Your Gospel. Forgive us. Forgive us of our sin. And show us You again. Revive in us an overflowing joy in You. But do this, Lord, for Your glory. And Lord, would You do a miracle and would You, would you somehow take this and, and make it useful for displaying You over there? Pray that You would well up in us a desire to pray in our Gospel communities, to pray for our neighborhoods. Lord God, cause us to pray. And then, Lord, move mountains. Gather Your people to Yourself. We praise Your name. And we pray that You would be glorified among us as we rejoice in You. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is... Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.